testings and trials often follow our victories. That proved true for Elijah. He was a fiery prophet and a true man of God at a time when Israel was in spiritual decline and the nation's leadership was so far from God. Elijah's ministry was full of miracles and amazing answers to prayer. But the New Testament tells us that he was just like any of us, a mere mortal. And Elijah's experience reminds us that it's entirely possible to be on top of the mountain one moment and running scared the next. This is Divine Connections Podcast, Episode 27. It's part two of how to gain an eternal perspective when you're bummed out. And today we're looking at how a prayer, a contest or a challenge, and a female bully all led Elijah to his lowest of low points. But there's a great lesson in it for us in the darkest moments that Elijah had. Listen in. Do you ever read part of your Bible and you think to yourself, you know, this is an awesome story, but those people aren't like me. They're super saints. Well, just in case you're thinking that or we start thinking that, James gives us the truth about the prophet Elijah. This is James 5, verses 17 to 18. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That means he's human. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, that is the prayer that set in motion the sequence of events that leads to Elijah's low, low point. And I want you to remember that it was offered by a guy who was just a regular human being, just like you and I. No cape, no special outfit, no superpowers. You know, we could do a whole study on Elijah's prayer because it is an intriguing one. But I'd like for you to just ask yourself one thing. Now, why would a prophet living in a desert land pray for no rain for three and a half years? Where did that prayer request originate? With the prophet or with God? Now, my inclination is that Elijah prayed as he was moved by the Spirit to pray. And he made his prayer request public so that he could kind of wake up the nation's leadership. His intention was to draw their attention to their own backsliding and idolatry. Now, you can read the full account of what happened. It takes about five chapters of the Bible from 1 Kings 16 through 1 Kings 21. But I want to just give you the Cliff's Notes version of that here for our purposes today, because once again, we're looking at in particular, how to gain a perspective, an eternal perspective, when we're really bummed out, when we are discouraged and disheartened, when we're overwhelmed. How do we do that? And uh, Elijah had that experience, and I think we can learn from him. So here's kind of the Cliff Notes version of those, the events in those five chapters. So Elijah is a prophet in the nation Israel. 
And the king at the time was King Ahab, and he was married to Jezebel. And they are both wicked. They have brought idolatry in the form of the worship of a false god called Baal. They've brought that into the mainstream of Israel's religious life. And Elijah now has has prayed that there would be no rain for three and a half years. And he, he says, let there be no rain except by my word. And it's known to the king. And so the king has hunted him down, but they can't find him. And at the end of that time, at the end of the three and a half years, Elijah then shows himself and he presents this challenge to the false prophets of Baal. And he invites them to a contest on Mount Carmel to see whose God is the real God. And during that contest, Elijah humiliates those false prophets and proves that their God is no God at all. And he then kills them all. So the day is a big victory for truth and righteousness. But Jezebel hears what's happened and she calls him out and threatens him. So basically, one day, Elijah is up on Mount Carmel proving that God is God. And the next day, he's running for his life because a girl called him out. Now, (laughs) we can laugh at that, but it was an epic failure of faith on his part. And so it's worth examining how did he get from the mountaintop to the lowest valley so quickly? And what can we learn about how to regain an eternal perspective when our circumstances overwhelm us. So here's what happens after the contest on Mount Carmel. The scripture tells us this, Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all of the prophets, the false prophets of Baal, with the sword. Now, before that, Jezebel had executed many, many, many of the prophets of God in the nation Israel and then brought in these false prophets. But when it happens to her, she then sends a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And then it says, when Elijah saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Okay, now that's a tragic story, and you can, you can hear in his words his despair and the fact that he's really given up. He's frightened, he's run for his life, and now he's given up. And I want to suggest to you that in verse chapter 19, verse 3 there of 1 Kings, we see Elijah's first mistake, and his first mistake was this. He reacted to a person instead of responding to God. You know, so many of our trials involve others. They involve people that we cannot control or even influence. And when we focus on them, on people, we can quickly become discouraged or angry or even, as Elijah, hopeless. 
So the very first thing we learn from this story is to keep our eyes on God. Now, here's the thing, though. And I told you at the beginning, we're going to have three of these episodes in the lives of three people who knew God. Um, and in in Elijah's case, he is a prophet of God. He is hearing from God one-on-one. And he had kept his eyes on God throughout those three and a half years of drought and throughout that contest on Mount Carmel. But for some reason, when he gets that threat from Jezebel, he completely, he literally freaks out when he gets word that Jezebel is after him. So the question I have is, where is his faith? Where is his focus? And I want to say the two are directly related. He allowed his focus to get pulled away from God and from what God had done in preserving him through those three and a half years, feeding him and taking care of him, and from the triumph he had had on Mount Carmel. He allowed his focus to be pulled away from God, and he got it riveted on Jezebel. Now, Elijah knows God. That's, that is the thing we saw with Asaph last week in the episode. Asaph is a worship leader. He knows his God, and yet he despairs when he starts thinking, why is it that the wicked don't have any of the same problems the righteous have? And he says his foot almost slipped. He was, he was on that slippery slope because he couldn't understand that problem. Now, if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that episode. In this one, though, with Elijah, it's the same kind of thing. He has long experience with God. He knows God is powerful. He knows God is responsive to him. I mean, God had directed him step by step about where to go into hiding during that three and a half years of drought because the king was trying to find him and kill him. Now, God sent birds with meat and bread to feed Elijah in the morning and the evening. In fact, this is one of my very favorite Bible stories as a child. You know, I, I've said before, I was not raised going to church, but my grandmother had a great big Bible with pictures in it, the kind that had the old famous artworks, you know, done in color in the Bible. And one of them shows Elijah by the brook Cherith, and here is a raven bringing him bread and meat, this big, tall black bird. And as a child, I was fascinated by the fact that a bird would get that close to a person and would actually morning and evening come and bring him food. Now, Elijah has had lots of experience with God, but when he turned his focus to Jezebel, he kind of seems to have forgotten all of it, and he is immediately swamped by this tidal wave of discouragement and also a complete sense of spiritual isolation. And he's also expended all of his physical and emotional energy and resources in running all that way, um, trying to get away from the threat that he, he felt he was facing. Does, does that sound familiar? Because that happens to us when we shift our focus from God and we put it on others or on our circumstances, there's this emotional upheaval and it rapidly depletes us and we find ourselves literally exhausted 
by the anxiety and the strong emotions like fear or anger that we've been feeling. But I want you to look again at the tender care that God has for his prophet. He sends an angel to revive Elijah with food and water. And I wondered myself when I read that again, how many times God has sent help to me and to you. And we really didn't see it for what it was in the moment. That help to lift us up and to strengthen us when we've expended too much of our physical and our mental emotional energy being consumed with worry and fear about our circumstances and about ourselves. So Elijah regains his strength and he gets himself to this place called the mountain of God. Now, you and I need to get that address and keep it in our phones for the times when we get a little bit lost. Go to the mountain of God. And there he finds a cave. And finally, he hears from God. But the question God asks Elijah is this. Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, Elijah has already asked God to take his life, right, in that prayer. He says, just take my life. It's enough for me already. I'm no better than my father's. Just take my life. He's done. He is ready to give up completely. But God asks him this question, what, Elijah, are you doing here? And this is so often the question that God asks us when we get ourselves far from him and we've stepped outside his leading, when we chart our own course, like Jonah running from God's command that he go to Nineveh and he takes off in the complete other direction, or like Elijah in this story, he hears a threat and instead of falling on his face in prayer, he runs. And it's not God's will for him. But I want you to think about this question that God asks Elijah. He says, what are you doing here? What he's really saying is, I didn't send you here. You are currently outside my will, my guidance, my direction. So the second mistake that Elijah makes is in forgetting his calling, his mission, and the people that he is supposed to help. That all got swept aside by a giant wave of fear and self-pity. Now, Elijah doesn't actually answer God's question. Instead, he does, I think, the default, go back to Adam in the garden, and you'll see he starts defending himself and deflecting God's question. So instead of answering God, well, here's what I'm doing here. I got afraid when a girl challenged me, and so I ran. Instead of saying that, he starts telling God how zealous he's been in his work as a prophet. And then he says, but he and he alone is the only one left in Israel who cares at all about God. Now, I'm sorry to tell you, once again, Elijah's got it wrong. He's feeling like he's the only one who still follows God. But guess what? He's wrong. God tells him there are 7,000 others that are still following him. So God has Elijah go out to the very mouth of the cave. And there Elijah witnesses three things. A huge big storm, an earthquake, and a fire. But the scripture tells us God isn't in any of those. 
And then Elijah hears it, a still, small voice, the voice he recognizes as God's. But once again, the voice repeats the question, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, he gives God the same non-answer that he gave him earlier, but God gives Elijah some specific instructions, and this is key for us. I mean, God lets him answer, but then God gives him the straight up, here's the deal, Elijah, here's what I want you to do. So this is key for you and I, because in the middle of discouragement, God is going to ask us some questions. And I wonder, have you heard him in that still small voice asking you, what are you doing here? I know in an earlier episode, I told you about the story where I was uh, sitting in my bedroom going through the cards of hospitals I was going to call on the next day uh, in my work as a medical salesperson. And out of nowhere, after two years or more of radio silence, all of a sudden, I hear the Holy Spirit speak to me about my children. And he said to me, Kelly, you have three children. You can do this thing you want to do that you've set your mind to do, but you have three children you're going to answer for, and two of them don't even know my name. It was a wake-up call. It was a way of God saying to me, Kelly, what are you doing here? You know, if we will listen to that still, small voice, the guidance will come through loud and clear. And God reminds us that our lives have a purpose, that we are on a mission. We are on a mission for Him. Now, a word about those 7,000 others who've remained faithful to God. They point out Elijah's final mistake in this. And the last mistake Elijah made was not finding fellowship with other believers, other God worshipers. Those are the people Elijah needs to be hanging out with, not in a cave all alone and feeling sorry for himself. He could have instead been with others rejoicing about God's victory on Mount Carmel and the hopefulness that a true worship of the true and living God would return once again to Israel, that people would cast aside their idols and return to their God. You see, finding fellowship with other believers could have encouraged and strengthened Elijah. And that kind of encouragement, that community, that shared worship, that was available to him. But his eyes were on his enemies instead of on his friends. Now, what can we learn from a prophet who gave up and gave in? What can we learn from Elijah? I want to suggest five steps for us in regaining an eternal perspective when we're bummed out. The first is that we have to respond to God before we start reacting to people. The second is that we have to remember our calling and the glorious destiny that God has planned for us. The third is that we need to find the support of others who love God too. Christianity is not a solo occupation. We don't do this alone. We are part of the body of Christ, the family of God. So each of us has our own walk with God, but we are meant 
to walk with others as well in community, in fellowship with them. So finding the support of others who love God too. Then number four, get in a place where you can hear that still small voice. And you notice, even though Elijah went somewhere where God says to him, what are you doing here? Even there, God was able to speak to him. And last of all, when you do hear that still small voice, do what he's telling you to do. Father, your word tells us that you keep us as the apple of your eye, that you watch over us and you bear us up on eagle's wings when our hearts are discouraged and our strength fails us. Father, help us to focus and stay focused on you, especially when we're anxious, fearful, and exhausted in our circumstances. Bring us encouraging reminders of your plans for us and lead us to others who are clinging to you in faith and walking in your power. Speak to us when we've crawled into a cave and in your mercy, recommission us to go forth and to do your will. Don't let us linger in despair. Don't let us wallow in misconceptions. Make us mighty in faith and bold in action, bringing you glory by the way we trust you and the way we act to obey you. Amen. Well, in this brief series so far, we've learned from a worship leader, that was Asaph, and from a prophet, that was Elijah, and next time, we are going to learn from a king. Now, until then, you can connect with me on Instagram at Kelly J. Grace, and you'll find resources for your spiritual growth on my website at kellyjgrace.com. You know, I just want to end with this. I've been reading Randy Alcorn's book, Happiness, and happiness is the exact opposite of what Elijah was, right? He was so bummed out, and the same with Asaph. And that's what happens when we lose our eternal perspective. We will lose our happiness, our joy. We can't be focused on other things that pull us away from God and retain that happiness. Now, I mentioned in um, our life purpose in this episode, so I want to share with you something I discovered about that in Randy's book, Happiness. Um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism dates from 1646, and it's famous for its first question. Now, I, as I said, I wasn't raised in church, but I know people who were raised in the Catholic faith, in the Lutheran faith, in, I think, also the Anglican Church in England. They, their children undergo catechism, the training, uh, religious training, by answering these questions, learning the answers both the question, which is valid, and the answer, which is supremely valuable to the life of someone who wants to walk with God. But the first question is possibly the most famous. And it is this, what is the chief end of man? Now the answer is that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That brings up the question, what does it mean to enjoy God? Now, a Puritan named Thomas Watson had this reflection, this answer. 
He said, what is enjoying God forever but to be put in a state of happiness? God is the summum bonum, the chief good. Therefore, the enjoyment of Him is the highest felicity, and that word felicity can be translated joy or bliss or delight. So, actually, God is the summum bonum, the chief good, and therefore the enjoyment of Him is the highest joy. You know, because God is the best good, and that's in capital letters in the universe, and no one is good except God alone, because He Himself is the greatest good. Whenever we get sad or discouraged or anxious or angry, turning our thoughts to Him automatically redirects us toward happiness and toward a right perspective. It is, in fact, a shortcut out of despair that we all can and should learn how to take. So turn your thoughts back to Him. I want to thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time.